0: Welcome to the podcast of Motorweek, Television's original automotive magazine. Motorweek is made possible by tirerack.com, WeatherTech, rockauto.com, and State Farm. Here's your Motorweek podcast host, John Davis. For the 200 minus one time, thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek Podcast number 199. I'm John Davis, and joining me today in Studio C at MotorWeek Central is writer-producer Brian Robinson. Hello. Online content coordinator Greg Carlos. Hi there. Our road test producer... Ben Davis, no no relations. I don't know why I say that every week. Ben Davis, video producer, editor, and all-around great guy, Joe Ligo.
1: Stop telling lies about me. (laughs) I'm not great.
0: We have a viewer question. We've got a follow-up to the viewer question. We've got a lightning round. We've got trucks. We've got cars. We've got a little of everything on this show. So here we go. Let's get right into it. We are recently back from uh, our winter testing trip down to the Roebling Road Raceway near Savannah, Georgia. And because it's a racetrack, we often take uh, pretty much all high-performance vehicles down there. Uh, This year, uh, we had quite a group, and we're going to talk about three of them on today's program. The first, the 2019 Porsche 911 GT3 RS. This is the one of the last of the of the outgoing generation of Porsches. Not that it makes much difference. Uh, an incredible car. What do you sitting at this table? Are some of the best drivers uh, on the in show in the
2: world? In the world,
0: <laughs> right here at Motor Week Center. What did you guys think? What did you think? Uh, I
2: mean, uh, it's one of the few non-turbo 911s you can still get. Um, it's basically just a GT3 with a bunch of weight <laughs> taken out. Uh, 20 extra horsepower and uh, PDK only. 520 horsepower. And uh, it goes around a track like that's what it was built for.
1: RS must stand for really speedy. Because I did not see a single person get out of that car that didn't have a big grin on their face. <laughs> After
3: my first uh, go around in it, I actually came out with some expletives. Positively, I hope. Oh, yeah. It was oh, that. Yeah. I, I think my first run in it was the acceleration runs that we did. Which we clocked in at 3.1, but that thing will—I could pretty much guarantee that we could go lower. Had that was—I should point—that was a 30-degree day. day. The track was. Yeah, nice so cold. we got 3.1 seconds. I can see it easily in a sub-three, probably yeah. 2.9 range. Um, it was PDK only, which is the difference between one of the differences between the RS and a standard GT3. Standard GT3 will get a manual transmission if you like it um gt3 rs is pdk only to me it doesn't really diminish any of the no. the fun I, it is just stupid fast stupid loud and uh ben and i had a conversation the, mm. we were finishing up at roebling basically just driving whatever we had and we were swapping back and forth between the gt3 and a 911 t and we had a little bit of a disagreement um i thought that the gt3 was more fun to drive, and he felt that the 911T was more fun to drive. You want to weigh in? Yeah, I did. It was
4: it was weird for some reason, I guess because, I don't know, that for some reason the 911T felt more natural to me. Maybe I had more fun driving it because it was easier to get to that wall of fear mm. and get over top of it. And maybe I was just thinking of the fragility of the human body too much in the GT3 and my age and and stuff like that. The family back home. (laughs) And it was really the only day that I got into each one of those cars. So I I didn't have a whole lot of laps in either one. But at the I mean, granted, I was going faster in the GT3 RS, no doubt. But I I had to It just to me, it wasn't as much fun as the (laughs) T.
0: Was it that you had to drive it so much harder to get to that point?
4: Yeah, I mean, I got in the T, drove it really hard, and it was really rewarding. I maybe got into the GT3 and drove it the same amount. And it didn't. It felt like I wasn't. You know, I was just wasting the car. Just not, laughing it, just at you, wringing so, it out to
2: its full potential. Everything happens so much quicker in the. Uh, geez, yeah, you're
3: no. all. That was the thing I noticed is that like all my turn in spots were completely wrong. Because mm-hmm. like as soon as you tu- as soon as you even look at the steering wheel, it wants to turn in, which means all right, time to go faster and turn in later. And it just responded. I think the reason I like it so much is because you can treat it like a race car. You can brake hard late. You can just turn it in, and it, it does what does you everything. want. You don't have to be very gentle with it like you do with other cars. Yeah, twice the amount
2: of downforce, I guess we should add, is the regular GT3 as well.
3: And the sound. If I just could just reiterate oh. the sound from inside mm. and outside, really. It's just it's to die for. It was a stunning car.
0: One of the things that's very hard uh, about when you go out testing vehicles and you have to immediately put down your comments and impressions about them, is being able to look at each vehicle independently so that when you drive one, it doesn't cloud your vision of the other. I bring this up because the next car we're gonna talk about, if you can't really call it a car, not sure what it is, it's the Lamborghini Urus, their SUV, their first one, Uh, It's been quite a long time coming. Uh, Everyone's been hearing about it for uh, two years now. We finally had a chance to get an Urus at the racetrack, thanks to Lamborghini. And here you go from a lightweight uh, 911 GT3 RS to a heavyweight, and you don't know exactly what to expect when you get in. What was everybody's first reaction after that first lap? Brian? Uh, well, first of
2: all, it's not their first SUV. That would be nope. the LM-002. Rambo Lambo. Yeah. <laughs> way back when. Check out our retro view mm-hmm. on that. Um, the it's It was a little disconcerting at first just because all of the handling is there, and uh, it turns in very quickly. It feels like a Lamborghini, uh, but you're just sitting so far off the ground. And a lot of weight. And you're expecting, like, a lot of roll. And it doesn't even roll that much, but you just the sense you're waiting of you being for it to that, roll. Yeah, that far off the ground and then turning in that quickly, it takes definitely takes a while to get used to.
3: I think, yeah, like you probably net it on the head. It's the biggest drawback is just the mindset that you're in being in an SUV, because it can handle everything you throw at it and then some. But I had the same feeling. It's like my first lap, I'm like okay, this it's going to roll this much. It's going to not stop in this time. But it did the exact opposite of those things. <laughs> it, it, was did very, it did everything that weird. a Lamborghini supercar You're, you're almost it. like, wait a second, you shouldn't be this good. But you're, <laughs> nev- you're never willing to tempt it further because you're just like, it, now you don't it's, it it it's going to be the time where it snaps. Right, you don't want to put, put it, it on doors. It never did for me. I thought it was just fine on the track. <laughs> Not, wouldn't Can't be really add to us. any of those things.
0: It it was a phenomenal. It was phenomenal to sit on the side of the track to watch that two ton plus Urus go by. It was a blazing yellow uh, model, and it was blazing. To, uh, to
1: my knowledge, it was the first SUV we've done full laps at Roebling with.
0: Well, and asking and the other... I'm producers. not sure if that's... Is that right? We're trying to debate I'm that. I'm not sure. We had might the Galloway escalate, but yes, we didn't we do did. around the whole tribe. No, about. No, I yeah. just did that on the
3: game. And Skir
2: said there might have been a cyclone down there at some point. Probably. Like a GMC cyclone. Yeah. yeah. We've been going there hmm. over 30 years. But I don't know.
0: But this... One, the, uh, the URIS was just a phenomenal performer, and yet, you know, driving it away from the track, going to dinner, whatever, you're basically sitting in the lap of luxury, although the interior always reminds me of a missile control room. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a, a very phenomenal Yeah, vehicle. that's
3: where I think Lamborghini did a nice job of making it very Lamborghini. Very like Lamborghini. like it's just a Lamborghini car. I mean, it's, what, the Q7. Right,
2: Correct, but it's the they... Basics. Yeah, they yeah. just started with the structure and put everything on the Even online. the engine's different.
3: But you wouldn't know. I mean, it's yeah. it's all Lamborghini, like you said, inside, like a cock, mission control cockpit. I think the only thing that I was a little upset about, maybe not upset, but just... I thought maybe we would have a little more Lamborghini exhaust note, which you don't quite get. It's a it sounds fine. It's just not Lamborghini. Right, it's me. the
2: four liter uh, turbo uh, from the. Uh, they've built their own version of it, but yeah, it's not the same as tens or twelves. That's for sure.
0: They bill it as the uh, world's fastest factory SUV, 190. Uh, I know we didn't get quite that fast, but were you impressed at the end of the quarter mile? Or the end, not the uh, quarter, yeah, 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 for
2: the sure. away. Yeah, brakes. Uh, Brakes were phenomenal, and uh, we were getting close to that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the one question: Would you if would you buy this or a Trackhawk? Because they have about the same amount of horsepower. I think the Jeep (coughs) Trackhawk has a little bit more. Granted, the price is way different. But you know, you are still
2: making the Trackhawk.
1: I I assume that the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk is still for sale. Okay. But uh, I don't know because I drove both and. I think I'd get the trackhawk instead because
0: yeah, but you're an old old. I'm
1: old school. I'm old school, so maybe I'm biased. But come on,
0: you want one of the rarest cars in the world? Well, actually, they're both pretty rare. I was gonna say say, I'd keep the
1: I'd keep the extra hundred grand, but. But uh, no, I did it when uh, the, one other thing it did really well. Nobody else has mentioned is Lamborghinis are supposed to get people's attention, and ours was bright yellow. And sure enough, we took it out to dinner. One Everybody night. turned. Oh, their people heads. were taking pictures. What is that? What is that? Well, what?
0: they've never seen it before, except in pictures.
1: Right. One kid came up and he's like, "Oh, I've never seen one." He said, "I'm trying to convince my dad to buy one, but he won't. He doesn't want to." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Oh well, well, old father. <laughs> I said, "Good luck with that, man."
0: <laughs> On the flip side of that. We also had, at Roebling this year, the Hyundai Veloster N, the first of the in-brand, uh, sub-branded uh, performance machines from Hyundai. We mentioned it briefly in the uh, previous podcast because it won uh, one of our car, uh, Best Cars of the Year awards. But let's now we've had the Veloster N on a racetrack. You know what the regular Veloster drive's like. Was it that big a difference?
2: Yeah, it was a totally different yeah, car from yeah. the regular Veloster. Yeah, two liter turbo in there. Um, they did a lot with the handling, obviously. So, plus uh, the whole new front end with a different uh, limited slip uh, differential and torque vectoring and all that stuff. Ama- uh, amazing amount of corner speed with that car and super flat, but not like away from the track. It wasn't harsh mm-hmm. at all. Uh, good package all around.
4: It was a track sleeper. I mean, driving it on the street, you would never. Imagine that it handled that well on the track or was that well-behaved, had yeah, that agreed. much feel, and you could really take it as deep as you could and really ride those rumbles and I thought total was, control. I agree. With the night
0: and day. Night and day between that and the standard Veloster. What? Manual
2: transmission only, which yeah. and it's a sweet a nice short throw yeah. uh, shifter, rev matching.
1: What gave it away for me is uh, we were shooting the interior footage of the car, and I got in, and you know, you'd go through all the touch screens and touch and go through all the menus and stuff for the camera. And when you go into the N mode stuff, you realize just how many customizable settings there are for your differential and your shift, your shifting, and your engine, and your rev throttle matching, mapping, your rev matching, exhaust noise, exhaust oh, yeah. noise, and you know the amount of traction control you want. I mean, it had like. All kinds of different choices to turn this stuff on or off, or to high or low, and that's how you kind of can tell—at least to me—that showed that they were serious about this is a perform. This is a performance version of the Veloster. It's not just some stickers and some, you know, and a different muffler. It actually is the the whole package and
0: a customizable one at that.
1: Right. So a modest price. Millennials and their phones will love all the things you can change and customize. Right? Isn't that what the kids want these days?
0: <laughs> there <laughs> are one. But, but even
2: kids. with. <laughs> Even with the optional performance package, uh, which adds bigger brakes and uh, different wheels and tires, some other things, it's still under thirty grand, which is pretty amazing, really.
0: Would you say that's – I mean, we've only had a handful of front-wheel drive vehicles at Roebling La- over the years that have been this impressive. I mean, it's got to be in a small group. Yeah. I would definitely say that. I
3: remember yeah. the Focus ST we had there was pretty fun for a front-driver. Yep. This one was yeah. definitely up there. I would, speed 3 was really yeah. fun. I will say um Hyundai if you're listening would love to take Ooh. this car to Summit Point, the Shenandoah circuit. Cuz I remember driving the Focus RS there and I had a blast cuz this is the kind nice, of nice tight little circuit. Yeah, it's it's small. It's not there's really not that long of a straight. Uh, but yeah, a lot of just fun turns and this is the exact type of car that's fun for us because even though we drive more than the average person on the track, we're not professionals. So this is a car that we can all just take pretty much to the edge of our limit and be very confident in it. And that's just a, that's a lot of fun. Hear that Hyundai? We've got another date for you. <laughs> Thanks,
0: everybody. Let's move on now to uh, Trevor, who has a viewer <laughs> question for us. Um, Hello, all, he says. Love the TV show and podcast. Thank you very much, Trevor. What midsize sedan do we think will be the next one to get killed off in the SUV and crossover? a Help me. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. I can't say Apocalypse. that today. Gosh, what did I have for lunch? <laughs> all right, Joe, what do you think?
4: Oh,
1: apocalypse. I'm sure that Chevy is straddling this line where they don't want—they want to be the last American mid midsize sedan, but they also don't want to make a car they can't make money on. So I'm sure that there's some sort of debate at GM with: Do we go all in and make this better, or do we cut our cut losses? Malibu? Yeah, Malibu. Yeah, I, yeah. Surely the I Malibu. Guess I don't
0: think I don't think that'll happen.
1: Yeah, because because right. you know if there was still the Fusion or something, well then maybe they say, well it's not worth it, but. I just don't. I think there's a pride thing there, so I don't know. I
0: don't know. I don't think maybe. It's Malibu. I think it could either be Volkswagen Passat because they may need that Chattanooga production line for more SUVs, or maybe even somebody like the Hyundai Sonata.
4: I'll weigh in. Yeah, <laughs> without basing too much on knowledge and numbers and sales figures. As sad as it is, the Mazda six, in my opinion, it's a beautiful car. But I feel when people are getting to the dealership, all their SUVs are just as equally stunning and. Mm. I can't remember the last time I see a Mazda 6 on the road. Every time I do, I notice it and notice how pretty it is, but I just don't see him.
0: That's actually a very, very good observation.
2: Uh, I'm really bad at making predictions and even really wanting to make predictions, but uh, I would go with maybe the Legacy. Do they still make the Legacy? I, mm. Well, there there actually Legacy?
3: A There's oh, a they're actually. There's a new one right there. now. Yeah. yeah. You took my answer.
2: Oh, uh, my bad. Just I, I It's definitely not going to be anything from. Honda, you know, any of the big uh,
3: Japanese brands. I don't think Honda or Toyota sure, will discontinue. Uh, yeah. See, I was going to go to Lexus and I'm probably wrong, but Maybe you could see him killing off something like the GS or something like that. I don't know because luxury that car buyers, they've
0: practically never made that much sense to me anyway. Yeah,
3: luxury right. buyers like their SUVs more so maybe than the average buyer. So I don't know.
0: Well, there you go, Trevor. That's a uh, that's more of a smorgasbord than I thought uh, that we'd come up with. Be on the lookout Apocalyptically for discounts. Styled, huh?
1: It said be on the lookout for discounts. You know, if one of those well, cars gets cancelled
0: if you God, are are looking like at any kind of a sedan if you actually want a sedan it's a wonderful time to buy
1: oh yeah a friend of mine got zero percent financing on you know just the
0: msrps are so much lower for the same equipment i mean the only thing you're really missing is a square back and a a fifth door so and a wiper blade and a wiper blade (laughs) that's another story thank you trevor our lightning round each of us gets 30 seconds to weigh in on a trending topic followed by further discussion and usually ignoring the bell it's auto season, which means automakers are rolling out new concept cars, many of which are bold, beautiful, and usually packed with features that never reach production. Does anybody in our group get excited about concept cars anymore, or is it just a bunch of PR smoke and mirrors?
4: I still get excited.
0: I think it's a good look at the styling for the future. I think that's, a, that's still the main point they use them for.
4: I like that VW yeah. Baja, that yeah. Baja, that dune buggy
3: yeah that uh, was pretty cool i was actually thinking this to myself when i was walking around in detroit uh i it's rare for me to get excited for a concept car just because i don't know uh personal preference i like things that are coming to market now i'm more i'm much more there's two cars a concept car and a car that's going into production next month i'm gonna go walk up to the car that's coming out next month and that's just my personal preference Joe, since you got the bell, (laughs)
1: Uh, I'd say I used to be kind of negative on concept cars. It's like, okay, you know, it gets thirty, it gets fifty miles to the gallon, has nine hundred horsepower, and it's never going to be built. It's always just, it seems like a bunch of false promises. But after talking to a guy who worked in automotive styling, he said those were their favorite things to work on because
0: there's no rules. Sure,
1: they don't have to worry
0: about making it producible.
1: Right, and so. I guess I'm a little less cynical now that now having done that. Yeah, because I know that some guy in the styling department got to have fun.
0: Yeah, Brian Robinson.
2: Uh, well, there's many different kinds of concepts. Uh, I'm not such a big fan of like the really far out ones that you know have no relevance to actual production, whether they got like natural grass interiors or power <laughs> trains that run on. Like, this year was
0: bamboo interiors. was the big yeah, thing.
2: It's like uh, if if it's something like awesome and it looks like they could pull that off and actually make it um you know i'm all about that but stuff that has no relevance um yeah whatever don't waste S- the time
0: sometimes i think concept <laughs> cars are are best when you look back at them 30 or 40 years later
2: oh you know as part of the
0: automotive history
1: oh go watch the motor week retro reviews there's one it was like the buick Questor. this Questor. is 82 like or something yeah. it had like You know, all these screens and you know, oh, it even has satellite navigation. Oh, well, what's that? I've never heard of that
0: before. (laughs) Big foreteller of the future. Yeah. Uh follow-up to that, uh, what bizarre and unpractical features would you put in a concept that might never reach production? What is it, you know, so put your thinking cap on. If you could if you were gonna wow a crowd at an auto show, which is pretty tough. Uh, Greg and I were talking about name?
1: this yesterday when I was making the the rundown for this podcast, and I immediately thought of the movie The Santa Claus, where he's in the sleigh, and he's like, "Oh, cool CD player." He's like, "No, Dad, CD stands for cookie dough, and like it oh, dispenses God. a chocolate chip cookie." I know that, of course, I'd be the guy to go with food accessories. I'm sure that you know that's, that's a perfect <laughs> fit for me. But all I could think of was how cool it would be to have like a cookie dispenser in the dash.
3: I don't know how I we remember. could top that, Joe. A <laughs> CD. Ooh, compact disc. <laughs> right, right.
4: No, dad, cookie dough. I'd I would have a car that had uh, like a golf course or lawn pop-up things that you know that you can water large areas of uh, of land with. Like pop-up sprinklers, you mean? <laughs> designed in there and they would pop up and automatically wash the car from time uh, th- to time.
0: Now that's pretty that's interesting. An automatic car wash that you drive No other takers?
3: I wrote down a few. Go (laughs) ahead. I want to hear these. (laughs) Uh, well, this just came to mind. Ejectocito from uh, Fast and Furious. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Uh, let's see. A drone that can run errands for me. Aye, uh, a like, drone. While I'm there sitting in go. traffic and speed like, speed man, I forgot my chapstick. Eraser. You know, ha- let's, ha- let's ha- let the drone go ha- up and see what's <laughs> yeah. really holding up traffic. A uh, 3D printer uh, in the situation that something goes wrong in the car and I need a part. Bam, I'm printing <laughs> something. I'm printing the part That's up. awesome. And then <laughs> yeah. car to car. Car-to-car messaging uh, for that situation. That's coming. uh, Where I need to hurl an insult at somebody. (laughs) You've got mail. I guess you could also (laughs) use the drone for that situation. Let's just drop a little note that says, hey, idiot. I kept Speed wondering,
0: up. you know, on that vein, I keep wondering, and I suppose it's because of no one wants to get shot, why someone doesn't make a, re- you know, instead of a retractable spoiler, put a retractable light bar that spells out words that you can type. Back in, off. You know, back off. And <laughs> you can get, if you can read this, it's going to cost you your insurance. I had a friend that just uh...
4: used to throw change, kept a cup full of change. Yeah? And just threw change at people that were mm, <laughs> mad on the highway.
1: Definitely illegal.
4: <laughs> can you imagine getting hit with a handful of change in the middle <laughs>
3: yeah. of
0: the night? Well, That'd be terrible. Take your lights out. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know what it was. It's yeah. terrifying. Like get hit with the, a handful of be pennies
1: at sixty miles per hour. You're you really,
0: <laughs> oh, some very creative responses there to that question, and I think that. Basically, that's a really good place to wrap up this Motor Week podcast number 199. Thanks, everybody at the table. Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, Ben Davis, and Joe Ligo. And thanks to all those out there that sent in questions and participated. Our audio engineer, Julian Kuchman, who has made sure that we come through loud and clear. Our podcast creator is Bob Mixter. And, of course, Joe Ligo produced today's podcast. Thank you all for being a part of our show. Remember, you can watch Motor Week on public television stations around the country, just go to our MotorWeek.org website, pull down the tab of uh, stations, put in your zip code, and there it is. Uh, If you have a chance to watch us on uh, commercial cable, be sure to tune in to the Motor Trend Network, where we are delighted to be uh, one of the programs they show week after week. Till next time, thank you all for being a part of our MotorWeek family, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek television's longest running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.